we need an island with a bridge to the mainland. <clears throat> when we're doing these entrepreneurial programs, we need enough separation from the core business that the corporate antibodies don't kill it. Enough separation, but enough integration that it's not a think tank that never gets a home. Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 88. Today's show features Michael Doherty from his talk at the IO Innovation Summit last summer. In it, he lays out some really great advice and anecdotes about what disruptive innovation looks like in a large enterprise. Hi everyone, I'm Victory Clafter, producer of Inside Outside Innovation. New technologies, markets, and methodologies are changing the way people create value. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings together the best and brightest in the world of innovation, tackling these challenging problems. For more information, visit next.co. That's N-X-X-T C-O. I, th I think innovation for corporates is you know, filled with these kind of paradoxes. I feel, I feel this tension when I've, when I've been a corporate person and working with corporations of, we have to disrupt ourselves, but we have to maintain today's business. Um, we have to uh, be entrepreneurial, but we have to be disciplined. And then we have to um, innovate internally, be best world-class innovators, and at the same time, find ideas everywhere. And I actually think we have to get beyond this either-or thinking and look at this as and. That we've got to find ways to do both, which is a paradox, but a reality. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you about next is, how do we build these uncommon partnerships for growth? In, in the book and in, in the research I've done for that, um, what we found is companies that are doing this well basically are learning to successfully and sustainably disrupt themselves through collaboration with partners. And that uh, they're managing innovation as an interdependent system. In other words, core and transformative aren't completely separate and they aren't the same. There, there's a recognition, there's an interplay between them uh, and it's managed as a system. And in, in order to do this, we've got to manage innovation and this co-creation differently with entrepreneurial partners. And what's interesting is it happens at every step. Co-creation with startups requires getting involved earlier, even to the point of discovery of opportunities and defining opportunities um, before we incubate and try to integrate them back in. And that's really one of the dramatic changes is instead of just looking for technologies to either scale up internally or, uh, or, or things that we're going to develop internally, the idea of partnering earlier to actually co-create even the idea is a scary proposition. But companies are doing it successfully. Okay, so here's just a couple of quick examples of what, what companies are doing to, uh, to do this early stage co-creation. Uh, anyone here from Johnson & Johnson by chance? Johnson & Johnson, I, I think, is a, is a great company, not necessarily known as an innovator. They've, they're always high on the lists of well-respected companies, but not as an innovator. But what they're doing with innovation these days is really building on um, recognizing they need to get in, in the game earlier. And so they've got innovation centers around the world, four of them that are the large ones, where they're actually inviting in scientists not necessarily even with the idea, but scientists who have innovated before, and then and putting in these innovation centers, J&J &J business and scientific folks, to partner with these scientists to come up with new ideas together. And J&J is not even taking equity in that. They're, they're saying, we're willing to help you come up with the idea and uh, define it, and we hope that we'll be in the game with you, and we think we'll have an unfair advantage because of that. But I think it's pretty forward-thinking to say, we're going to invest in actually getting in the game and helping to create these ideas for the sake of having these, um, these relationships. Now, another example is, this is uh, from my Sunbeam Jarden days, but after I left, Jarden uh, makes, Jarden actually was the uh, company that bought Sunbeam when we successfully turned it around. They make the crock pot. So, you know, 
I, I won't say I agree with the strategy, but they said, well, we make crockpots, let's make the food that goes in them. And, be, and what they did is they said, well, we want to make this premium direct-to-consumer food, but we really don't know um, how to do that. So what they did is they brought in an entrepreneur, Brian Ginesco, who had successfully uh, built and exited two direct-to-consumer food businesses before that, and brought him in to actually manage this venture for eight months with an internal team that was peeled off to work with them directly. Now, sparks flew and it wasn't all smooth sailing, but I think it demonstrated uh, another approach to this idea of early-stage collaboration and early-stage co-creation. I, I know that Kerry's going to talk about uh, some Coca-Cola examples. I love what Coca-Cola had been doing until recently with their Founders Program. With their Founders Program, they were taking assets or, or skills that Coca-Cola had and said, how can we get entrepreneurs to build businesses around these? One of the ones they did was something called Wonolo. Coca-Cola said uh, that uh, nothing else matters if the Coca-Cola isn't there on the retail shelves when we need it. And yet, there were issues with keeping the, uh, the last uh, you know, mile of uh, the supply chain filled uh, with getting early recognition of when the, sh the shelves were empty and getting them restocked quickly. So they created this, um, they basically said to these entrepreneurs, go build something around that. Um, it took a very small amount of equity, but, but uh, those entrepreneurs said, well, let's create a crowdsourced approach to that. So if you know TaskRabbit, it's like TaskRabbit for restocking retail shelves. So they've got a curated group of highly vetted shelf stockers who can go in and keep track of what's happening in the region and uh, when needed, very quickly keep it restocked. And they let uh, Coca-Cola was fine with Wonolo scaling this up with other CPGs and other companies that sold into grocery because it helped them scale. Now, they didn't let them use it with Pepsi, but other than that, it was all, all, all games go. So it shows yet another model of companies saying, where do we want to go? How can we partner in a unique way to have somebody else, else help us do that? Now, this pendulum swing continues because what's happening is it's very hard for companies to maintain that effort. Coca-Cola shut that, shut that down, not because it wasn't working, but because they needed to refocus on core. And it, it's really leading to a new way of working, which is kind of taking this to a next level of disruption on demand. So an example of that is a spin-out, spin-in. Cisco uh, has used this uh, time and time again, where um, they'll take ideas and move them to the outside to incubate them and bring them back in. Uh, in this case, these uh, three startup entrepreneurs, um, ex-Cisco people, were funded by Cisco. In the case of Nuovo Systems, Cisco gave them uh, $70 million and then bought the business back two years later for $678 million. Crazy, right? Why do you think they did that? Couldn't do it in-house? Worth the investment? It was worth the investment because a few years later it became a $3 billion business for them. And their strategy was simply, not that we're not doing innovation internally, but with a piece of our portfolio, we're going to push it to the outside and let other people innovate faster and more um, entrepreneurially for us. Um, another example, and this is a partner of ours um, in the Czech Republic called uh, Creative Doc. Um, a bank in the Czech Republic said, um, disrupt us. They knew that peer-to-peer -peer lending and new forms of disruptive lending were coming into the market, and they, they went to Creative Doc, our partner, and said, find a way for us to compete there. So Creative Doc created a startup called Zonky that was owned by this company, but um, managed completely separately, and within a year became the leading peer-to-peer -peer platform in the Czech Republic. And uh, in the course of doing that, I had used um, some very smart algorithms to make sure that default rates were low, and at the same time, because it was a community, it, really fascinating, when the few uh, borrowers who were going under, started to go under, generally would be for things like I would be losing my job. Well, the community stepped in and said, well, let's have the lending platform find us a new job.
And so it became the self-reinforcing community very fast. And I don't think that bank could have ever done that on their own. But by partnering with entrepreneurs from the outside who could come in and approach this completely differently, this bank has basically created a new business for them that, uh, that they own. Um, Create is a company in Tel Aviv that's doing something similar with corporates to create new businesses as well, where they're um, helping these corporates engage with the startup ecosystem and helping them incubate with them as well and not just connect. One of the businesses that I'm involved in is called Next Big, and uh, the model we're working on is uh, digital and IoT ventures on demand, basically leveraging the best of technologies on the outside, leveraging a network of four higher entrepreneurs, and then managing on a shared risk model. And uh, you know, doing everything from helping start up a new health and wellness business to um, helping a, uh, a, a, a new DIY service for millennials who don't ever go to Home Depot or Lowe's and basically are renters forever. So it's really a new model for them. They recognize they needed a new way to go to market and that, that's what this platform's doing for them. So you know, I, I know I only have half an hour and I wanted to just give you a uh, kind of a picture of you know, what's happening in terms of both the need to innovate collaboratively earlier and that some of these new models are, are, are really becoming the norm. Companies that are doing this well aren't necessarily just using one formula. Uh, they're using you know, different ways to, to, uh, to partner inside, outside, but ultimately um, they are basically developing the skills to innovate with um, startups and entrepreneurs earlier in their life cycle. And to do this successfully, whether you're on the corporate side or the startup side, we've got to transform the way we work. It's not something that happens easily. From the corporate side, I, I think it's about building new innovation muscles. It really is about build, building a new skill set that, that we didn't have before. So um, a couple of tips related to that. One is this, this notion of not engaging externally until you can innovate internally. And I've lived it and I've seen it. Um, if you're new to this game and you're new to innovation, moving too quickly to trying to engage with startups is fraught with issues and uh, is un unlikely to succeed because ultimately you can find all the great ideas you can, but if you can't have the organization embrace them and move them forward, it just doesn't happen. So companies need to think of this as um, um, being good at innovation on the inside and then engaging on the outside. Not looking at it as, we're behind the innovation game, we don't know how to do this, let's go find some startups. That may feel good, but that's more about uh, what Steve Blank calls innovation theater. You know, sort of the feel-good things of uh, rubbing shoulders with people in Silicon Valley, but it isn't going to drive innovation and growth. Two is know, know why you're engaging. Now, what, that sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised how often uh, uh, teams aren't really sure of why they're engaging with startups. So, um, you know, number one, it's a very legitimate thing to say, let's just use this to stay abreast of what's happening. Um, I, I think of that as kind of canaries in the coal mine, that we may be looking at what might disrupt us, both from the proactive and reactive standpoint. Where are things going? By engaging with our incubators and startups directly, by knowing what's happening in the technology space, we've got other people who are living in that who we've got relationships with who can give us early reads on where things are going. Um, new sources of growth, obviously. As I said, corporations generally are pretty good at incremental innovation and generally not good at transformative. So we can think of the startup community and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial partners as ways for us to create those new sources of growth using some of the models I, I explained to you there. Um, Nothing wrong with using startups to help strengthen the core. You know, a lot of what you see with uh, corporations like Unilever Foundry and others who are engaging with accelerators and incubators is to tap into digital innovation that can help them in marketing and help them in even supply chain. And so there's a lot happening in that innovation space that can help optimize the core. 
but just knowing what you're trying to accomplish is, uh, is important. And then finally, driving culture change. I think that's as, as legitimate a reason as any of the others to rub shoulders with entrepreneurs, to have some of that rub off. Um, I'm friends with Ed Kaczmarek, who used to help run Mobile Futures at Mondelez, and uh, they really found that uh, that um, engagement with the startup ecosystem and moving those entrepreneurs in with their teams helped to really accelerate their ability to be more entrepreneurial and uh, agile in the way they worked internally. So it's just a matter of being clear about what you're trying to get done. Third is uh, connect to partners that match what your aspirations and timelines are. An example of that would be, you know, it's an obvious thing to go partner with an accelerator. But if you go work with an accelerator who's focused specifically on digital, well, hopefully you're looking for digital technologies, you've got to ask yourself, are they ready to scale if the pilot's successful? And often, companies in these, these accelerators are very, very early stage. They're pre-revenue, they're seed stage or pre-seed stage. And so you've got to ask yourself, if your goal is to find partners for growth, then um, look for people who are at the right level of maturity for what you're trying to do next. And then develop approaches that match what you're trying to do. Um, uh, and this gets back to that notion of ambidexterity, that you've got to have enough of an ability to kind of run dual operating systems. The uh, metaphor I use here is most of us have, as corporates, have stage gate systems, but we can't be running these entrepreneurial programs through our stage gate systems. That's the best way to shut them down and turn off the startup entrepreneurs and, and, and just turn it into molasses. So we need to be thinking about a parallel process, something that's lean, that is basically tranches of funding that allows teams to experiment incrementally. I know as you hear more about lean startup methods, um, you'll connect this to that. But companies need to have a governance system that matches that. They need to have funding that's dedicated to it, and they need to, to basically provide that funding to fund experiments and buy an option to move to the next stage. And that's very different than um, the stage gate system that, we're, that most of us are used to. So think of it as, as a corporation. It doesn't necessarily have to be a completely separate organization, but we've got to have the skill set of the process for the core and the process for transformative innovation. And then lastly, um, balancing autonomy and, and integration. Um, the picture there is, is, I think, my metaphor, which is we need an island with a bridge to the mainland. When we're doing these entrepreneurial programs, we need enough separation from the core business that the corporate antibodies don't kill it. Uh, enough separation, but enough integration that it's not a think tank that never gets a home. So that's that balance, that paradox again of, of and there's no single answer for anyone, and it changes over time. It changes basically where you are in your journey. So if you're on the... Uh, Startup side, the first is uh, you know, looking at corporates as a, uh, an option to VC funding. Now, the slide, I don't want to go back to this, but the slide I showed here in the previous one was basically there's um, you know, VC funding, and it's firstly, first of all, it's hard to get for early-stage startups, but uh, too often venture capital funding is aimed at the next unicorn. And uh, VC funding will often mean that you might be thrown to the wolves, and you could have an exit that might be 3x or 5x, and the VC won't let you out because they're looking for the 10 to 20x because their portfolio says they need those big bets. And they're willing to let a portion of the portfolio go under to have those big bets win. And it's a numbers game. So not saying it's always bad, but it's something to watch out for. And at least on the corporate side, we have the opportunity for strategic investment and uh, earlier and more, um, you know, more profitable exits. Um, and startups need to recognize that big companies need them as much as um, you need them. You know, th 
it, it used to be that uh, corporations would stand back and say, what do you have? And startups would just plead to get a hearing and hope that they could pitch their ideas to them. That game has changed. And uh, most startups understand this, and, and I always advise them and, and try to help them understand it's a level playing field. Um, just, I'll tell you just a quick little anecdote. I have time for this. Um, one of the things we've done is this process called innovation speed dating, where we would bring corporates and startups together for quick matchmaking. And uh, it's funny because one of the companies I worked with was a startup out of Pittsburgh, and it was a, uh, an armband that measured your metabolic rate. And they knocked on the doors, couldn't get in anywhere. But what we did, is, and for years, but we, we did a speed dating event and had GSK, P&G, Kimberly-Clark, direct competitors in the room, and had them rotating around from table to table for face-to-face -face discussions. Uh, first of all, to let them see it's people to people. And secondly, to let the corporations see they're not the only ones talking to them. And uh, no lie, uh, halfway through that event, uh, one of the corporate executives, and I think he was probably showboating, but pulled out a check and said, I'll give you $100,000 if you stop talking to the other companies. Now, that's a change in mindset, right? That's leveling the playing field. And, and uh, that's really what needs to happen. And by the way, he didn't take the money. And uh, they ended up you know, successfully going into pilots. But, but it was all about the fact that uh, companies need to recognize that they're going to use it or lose it. And the startups need to recognize that we're partners in this. Most of the companies I work with uh, understand this. So you also have to know what you want from the, from the big companies. So is it about market access? If, you're, if you need channel access or access to their category, um, it may be about investment, without a doubt. The lines are blurring between corporate venture capital and uh, corporate innovation. And, and very often it is about some seed stage investment, but also it's often about um, knowledge, market knowledge, as well as access to customers. And, and, and quite frankly, it may not be about investment. Often, these are um, deals where the startup is looking for a keystone customer. And by getting in bed earlier with that customer, um, they have the opportunity to do that. I'll, I'll give you another Procter & Gamble example. Sonny Jundial, who was a ex-P&G at, at this point, um, was embedded into a startup called Shopkick, if, if you know that company. And uh, they basically uh, helped Shopkick um, pivot their model from being purely retail-focused to being a, 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 an app and a platform that could help retailers and brands. And by doing that, Procter & Gamble protected themselves and helped kind of reverse engineer Shopkick to meet their needs. And Shopkick won in, in, in no small way by now having a platform that didn't just close off their options and allowed them to have a better business. So bo both won. Um, another piece of advice is be cautious of pilots. Um, it's very easy often for corporations to say, run a pilot for us. And even if they give you $25,000 to do it, it doesn't mean that there's any skin in the game. So you've got to ask yourself, what's the end game? Where does this go if we're successful? Let's make sure that there's real strategic intent on the part of the corporate um, so that it, uh, it's not just a, uh, you know, a waste of our time. Um, so it's just something to be cautious of. And then also just connecting in the right time in your journey. Um, there really is this balance of, as a startup, not wanting to get too in bed with a corporate partner early because you might close off options. At the same time, early enough that you can help affect where you're going and at the same time keep your options open. And often those can be done through, like the Shopkick and Procter & Gamble example, um, early stage partnering without equity investment, or perhaps even um, engagement where you give somebody exclusivity for a very narrow market or for a limited period of time. So there are definitely ways to go around it. So where this is all going, I, I've got just a few minutes left, I think we're good. Um, you know, innovation as a game is changing, I mentioned. Um, I think the type of innovation we do is changing too. It used to be, you know, it was about the team. And then it was about the organization, and now it's about the ecosystem. And I really think it's changing 
the model of what our organizations are even going to look like, whether we're a startup or whether we're a, a large corporation. That the, the old days of a, the four walls of the company and the startup and the incubator um, are kind of blurring. Um, the metaphor I use, and I was chatting with someone about this last night, uh, my, my uh, stepbrother is in the movie business. And if you look at the way that works, these teams come together for periods of time and really hone in on a project for maybe a couple of years or a couple of months, and they go apart and form in a different way later. Now, that may be a little extreme for corporates, but large corporations need to define themselves as much by the ecosystem they manage as by the people who work for them directly. And they need to be thinking about career paths differently. Cisco is an example. Some of my good friends there have been acquired by Cisco twice. And uh, the, the ability to bring people inside um, and then infuse some of that and then go out again works well for them. Uh, a friend of mine, Stan Leck, uh, who I talk about in my book, was a VP of innovation at GlaxoSmithKline. Then he went off and ran a startup in China, two startups in the US, and now he just became the VP of innovation at Sanofi in Paris. And I think that's the future of these career paths, is future senior leaders need to have spent time in entrepreneurial ventures. They need to get outside of the company and get outside the four walls as part of the career paths as well. So, um, IE Crowd is a... Uh, kind of, to me, a, a metaphor for where things are going. They're, they're a startup based in uh, the West Coast that is taking latent technology out of universities and building virtual businesses around them. They crowdsourced all of their funding. They um, uh, built virtual business and scientific teams around it. And uh, they, uh, their first marketed product is something called the Kite Patch, which masks the human body from mosquitoes. Imagine that. And yet it was latent in a university. So, that, to me, is kind of a model of where we're going, is redefining the way companies work and redefining these as, these as ecosystem models that uh, are much broader than before. I, uh, I love this, uh, this image of uh, these contests that run in Spain each year of human pyramids, because I, I think it's a great metaphor for, for innovation. Now, most of us work in innovation. Yes, we're doing it to make a living, but we're doing it because we want to make a difference. And I, I, I've been so blessed to work with passionate entrepreneurs and passionate corporate innovators, um, but, but have seen so much the power of doing things uniquely together and collaborating in new ways that you can do more than you ever, ever thought possible. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for joining us. If you have comments, questions, or would like us to cover a specific topic, let us know at the IO Podcast on Twitter or at our website, nxxt.co. That's next.co. Until next time, go out and innovate.